Thank you for tuning into the City Church California podcast. We exist for anyone to believe in God, to become who God created them to be, and to build the church and our city. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so that you can be updated anytime we add new content. Now let's check out the latest message from our Sunday gathering. Well, it's great to be back in Ventura, California. It's always good to be in California. I live in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, I was living in California for four years prior to that. I was uh, in New York before then. But uh, I was in Costa Mesa for a couple years. And then I was in Palm Desert for a couple years. And then we moved uh, the whole operation to, um, to Nashville. And we miss... Uh, the the desert every day actually, um, but you know, it's a business and it and te- and Tennessee is a red state, so there is that. <laughs> but you know, you pay the you pay the price by not living in a place that you love. <laughs> that's that's how they sucker you in. Um, but it's uh, it's just a privilege uh, to be here. Again, uh, with Pastor Jude and Becky, I love you guys so much, and you're always, you're my youth pastors, you're the pastor of my youth, and will always be my pastors, I just love you, and thankful for you, Pastor Jude, and I was telling the first service that, um, you know, at church sometimes you, you don't see often uh, somebody, I thought that church was a bit boring growing up, and I was a charismatic Let's be honest, us charismatic have our liturgies. You know what I mean? We know exactly how the service is going to go. Oh, the Holy Spirit's here? Oh, yeah, it's the same stuff every time. Um, you know what I mean? You can get a bit cynical. I'm just, being, I'm just being real, if you don't mind me saying so. I love the Holy Spirit. I, I love the workings of the Holy Spirit. But I'm just saying, we do have these patterns that are identifiable as charismatics. And um, Pastor Jude was the first person that I thought, wow, you can be yourself and be cool and funny and be a Christian. You know, like, I, I love his personality. And, and he's such a teacher of the world. He's this beautiful paradox of a, a Bible teacher and a, a, a wild man. Um, and, so, and so I was just like, I want to be like that, you know? So that was kind of, I think, um, I think that the, those those. You mentioned the fivefold giftings, the apostle, prophet, and they are absolutely those are giftings from Christ. But I think that they are—it's the person that is the gift as well. And Pastor Jude, you are a gift. It's you. It's who you are. It's all of the. It's all of you. And I just—I'm so thankful for you. And we desperately need you. Like the world needs you. The world needs fathers like you who actually love people and disciple people and tell them the truth, speaking the truth in love so that we can all grow up into him who's the head. And that's who you are to not just to, to me, but to so many people. I'm so thankful for you. Um, all right, let's preach. So uh, when, we, when we're starting out, in this sermon, we're going to read a, a, a long passage of scripture. It's okay. It's going to be fun. And where we are in the narrative is God has just set the children of Israel free. 
and they weren't the children of Israel yet. They were just Hebrew slaves. They had no identity, no national identity. Um, Moses is going to write the book of Genesis in order to create a sense of identity, tell them who they are. So God shows up to them, and they are needy, and they're desperate, and they're oppressed, and they have no sense of self. And he takes pity on them, and he shows off, unlike any other passage in Scripture, for these slaves. It sort of makes no sense. And he rescues them from Egyptian bondage because he sees their slavery and he hears their cries and he knows their pain. God sees, he hears, and he knows. People that we would never think, people on the edges of society, people that we think have no value. God sees them and he hears them and he knows them. And so he shows up, just this beautiful story of people who don't deserve it. Um, and they have nothing to, add, to give to him. They have no value. Well, of course they have value, but not the way the world sees them. And any of the value that they have is being sucked out of them to build the empire. Of course, this is the story of history. So God sees them and he sets them free and he shows off. And then he brings them out of Egyptian bondage to to worship him because now they belong to him. That's the deal. The deal is if I set you free, you belong to me. Um, and so they, but now they're free. The freedom is all an illusion. We you serve somebody, as Bob Dylan says. And so you, uh, you, they come into the wilderness. And on their wedding night, when Moses goes up to Sinai and he receives the law, they're cheating on him, building a golden calf. <laughs> and that's the irony, is that, you know, like Israel, we're unfaithful to the Lord every day of our life. Um, in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a way. And, but God loves them and he sees, that, he sees what they're going to become, right? And what they will become. And so he's like, you know, so even it's just like, wow, you guys are ridiculous. I, I love you. Uh, and so he brings them through the wilderness and he's preparing them for the place that they're going to live, uh, this, this land of Canaan. Now the issue with Canaan is that it's an occupied place. It's somebody else's land. Um, but the tenants of that land, well, the thing is this, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. So that land belongs to God. And we're not owners, we're actually stewards. And the stewards of the land of Canaan were basically horrible, horrible human beings. It was a horrible place. They were child murderers, child sacrificers. Um, they... Just every detestable, horrible thing. They were cruel and violent. And so God's like, your time is done. So I'm evicting you, and I'm bringing my people in who will take care of my land better. And so this is where we are at the narrative. They're about to go in to this land that God has promised them. And so God asks uh, Moses to pick out 12 spies, one from each of the tribes of Israel, to go and spy out this land that God is going to give them. And so this is where we start reading in verse 16, in Numbers 13. These were the names of the men whom Moses uh, sent to spy out the land. And Moses called Hosea, the son of Nun, Joshua. So just before Hosea goes on the camping trip for 40 days, he gets a name change. Hosea means I save, or he saves. Yeshua means, or Joshua means, Yahweh saves. 
pretty cool name change. And probably a very significant one, as we'll see in a moment. Uh, verse 17, Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, go up into the Negev and go into the hill country and see what the land is and uh, whether that land, uh, uh, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, whether they are few or many, and whether the land that they dwell in is good or bad, and whether the cities that they dwell in are camps or strongholds, and whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are trees in it or not. Uh, it's like my wife sending me to the grocery store um, and she'll ask you know, a, a, a lot of things and, and I will say, babe, you need to text this to me because if it's not, in, it's not, if it's not written down, it's not coming back. <laughs> right? Don't, don't be calling audibles on me. You know, like I need, I need to see the list, right? And then I will consult the list. And if I'm at the grocery store, you can add to that but just don't call it in, okay? <laughs> just text the man the things, right? And so Moses sends them this text, right? Bring back all this stuff. So be a good courage and bring some of the fruit of the land. There's the laundry list. Now the time was the season of the first ripe grapes. So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin to Rahab near Lebo Hamath. They went up into the Negev and came to Hebron. Hebron is a really special place and it is where Joshua, who was probably familiar because of his proximity to Moses with the story of Abraham, this is where God promised Abraham, your descendants are going to be here. This is going to be your land. They're going to be back here, bro. So he's seeing the promises of God while he's walking around and maybe his faith is being you know, built up. Ahiman and Sheshai and Talmai, the descendants of Anak were there. That's a bit of cause for concern. We'll come back to it. Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. And they came to the valley of Eshkol and cut down from there a branch with a single cluster of grapes. And they carried it on a pole between two of them. Stop right there. So when the Bible says something ridiculous, you got to stop. <laughs> right? You got to be like, this is freaking crazy. It is freaking crazy. Stop right there. Okay? What, what is it saying? It's saying that the fruit that they was inordinately large, right? It's ridiculous how good the promised land is. So, how do we read this as a church, as the Israel of God, right? In this house, in this room today, there are individuals and we are a corporate body, right? We're one, but we're not the same. In the words of Bono, great song. Okay, right? And we have these, these individual destinies, but we also have these corporate destinies. Right? God's called you to do some really cool stuff. God has called this church to do some really cool stuff. Right? God's called you maybe to specific plans and, and purposes. And God has also called you as a body to specific plans and purposes. Right? There's these dual destinies. And... Um, did you know that when you got saved, see, there's something corporate about your salvation. In Acts chapter 2, it says that God added to the church daily those he was saving. When God is saving somebody, he's adding them to the church. It's the Bible. When God's adding somebody to the church, he's saving them. Because there's something corporate about your salvation. In 1 Peter 2, 4, it says, you like living stones are being built up into a spiritual house. 
to be a holy priesthood. You don't get to be a priest until you're a living stone that's been put into the house. Right? God designed you spiritually to be a brick. And bricks go in house. Have you ever seen a brick all alone on the sidewalk? Right? It's like, oh, buddy, what happened to you? Are you chipped? Right? It's sad when you see a brick all alone. Because they're literally designed to be with other bricks. And you are designed. This is what Peter's saying to the church. Right? You're designed to be in the house. So we have to be... We have to be aware of the duality of our calling, where yes, God has plans and purposes for you, but yes, you are a part of this church, and God has a plan for this church as well. So don't get lost on individual readings of Scripture. Pay attention to the corporate readings of Scripture as well, and that's what we're trying to do this morning is... Right? We're, so we're going to pay attention to both. God has something to say to you as an individual this morning, and he has something to say to you as a person who is a part of this body of believers. Okay? So, so, so the point is this. If you and I get in a DeLorean, and the flux capacitor is working, and we go to the future, your individual future, and the corporate future of this church, and we bring back something from your individual future and from the corporate future of this church, you're not going to believe it. The grapes are going to be huge. They will be very juicy. My wife is Australian, and we were in South Australia, an area where there's these beautiful Australian vineyards. And it was the time of the grapes. It was February, which is their August, because everything's upside down in Australia. And Australians are a bit upside down, aren't they? And so we're there, and in front of the, the great house at this vineyard, there were 12 vines of 12 unique grape varietals. And the grapes were just, they were big, right? And they're, they're ready to come off that vine. And the, the person that was at the vineyard was like, run through the, 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 those vines and try them out. I'm like, can I, can I touch them? She's like, you can squeeze them. I'm like, okay, I can squeeze all of the juice. Like, squeeze the juice. Wheeze the juice. So I'm going around, and I'm just like grabbing grape right up. Babe, I'm over in the Pinot Noir. Right? She's like, I found the Cabernet Sauvignon. Right? In her Australian, like, Cabernet Sauvignon. They butcher the English language. And so I'm grabbing it, and I'm squeezing it. But they're not, I don't know if you've been to the grocery store, but clusters of grapes are like, it's a one-hand thing, right? It's like, it's, it's not, it's a one-hander. God's, the future for you is not a one-hander. You hear me? It's ridiculous. It's stupid ridiculous. God's goodness. Oh, God, yes, give me just a one-hand blessing. No, ridiculous blessings. No, a ridiculously good future. Something that transcends my imagination. I, could, I couldn't even imagine it. And so we come back on the DeLorean and they're bringing back the grapes and it's ridiculous. They also brought some pomegranates and figs because Moses was having some bowel issues. <laughs> Just keeping things moving right along. That place was called the Valley of Eshcol because of the cluster that the people of Israel cut down from there. Eshcol literally means... Cluster. Well, this story is about to be a cluster, but in another way. Here we go. 
At the end of 40 days, they returned from spying out the land. And they came to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told him, we came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey. That's ancient Near Eastern hyperbole for fully loaded. <laughs> right? When you see flows of milk and honey, it's not literally flowing with milk and honey. It just means it's how they say fully loaded. Right? It's like you buy a new Escalade and it flows with milk and honey. Okay. And this is its fruits. So they show them the ridiculous fruit. They're like, that's insane. They're like, I know, we's the Jews. However, the people who dwell on the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. There are obstacles to your destiny. Right? God has, a, there's a place that God has for you and it's insane, it's ridiculous, but it comes with giants. What? Oh. Come on. This is the reality. The people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the. Now, you're going to notice there's two reports here. This is the first report. And the first report is fact. Facts are not our enemy, facts are our friends. Thank you. All right? Have you ever met a Christian and they're like, they're little, I'm a faith guy, man. I believe in faith. We're going to talk about faith. But there's some, there's some, some extremity sometimes in the faith teaching where it's like, don't, don't ever say facts. You ever met somebody and it's like, they're just vomiting. It's like, are you okay? No, I'm ruling and reigning in Christ Jesus. You look sick. No, I'm not sick. I'm seated in heavenly places. Ugh. Right? It's just a symptom. Ugh. I'm like, buddy, you need to go to the doctor or something. Look, yes, Jesus is your healer, but it's okay to say realities. You hearing me? Right? Like, people, it, you, all throughout the scripture in the New Testament, people were, Paul says we were sick. Oh, Paul, where's your faith? Hello? So it's okay to say the facts. And these guys are, the first report is the facts. Yeah, there's giants. People that dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified. We saw the descendants of Anak there. Okay, the descendants of Anak, they're giants. Yikes. The Amalekites dwell on the land of Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Mosquito Bites. <laughs> All of the bites are there. This land bites. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let's go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. I think that Caleb is a great man of faith, but I also think he's a little crazy and has a death wish. You ever known a friend that's like, let's just do it. It's like, you don't even know what we're doing yet. <laughs> right? That's Caleb. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go against the people, for they are stronger than we. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, and this is the second report. 
The second report is ridiculous. Okay? The land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants. Land doesn't devour its inhabitants, bro. Right? When's the last time that you read, well, in, in, in Ireland today, 27 people were eaten in a potato field. Right? It's like, that, that's not what happens. This is hyperbole of cowardice. A land that devours and have all the people that we saw in it are of great height. Oh, now everybody's a giant. Right? At first, it was just they're strong and they were the descendants of Anak. Now everybody's tall. Right? Keep reading. And then we saw the Nephilim. Oh, now they're not just the, the descendants of Anak and giants, they're Nephilim. Oh, this is fun. Genesis chapter 6. When's the last time you read that one? Some people think that the, the Bible's boring. You have not read the Bible. In Genesis chapter 6, there's these Elohim angels. They're like a special class of angels. Angels have classes. There's like managerial angels, and there's angels that just do the messaging. You know what I mean? The pencil pushers. <laughs> the bean counters, the pencil pushers, and then, you know, this sub... And anyway, so there's all these different, there's different classes. You got archangels. Come on, people, you know this stuff, okay? And so these Elohim angels... They look down one day at God's good creation and they see pretty women walking down the street. Pretty women that they'd like to meet. Pretty women. And they, they marry these women and they breed this, this other thing. They're half angel and half human. This is Genesis 6. Read it. It's crazy. And these, these beings that are born are savages. Is the, probably the best way to put it. Savages, savages, barely even human. <laughs> right? Because they're not. They're half human and they're half angel. And these dudes are like, they're, 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 they were called mighty men. Essentially, they were like, they're violent, violent, horrible people. And there are scholars that believe that the reason why Israel is going to go into Canaan and Joshua's holy war, his holy karem, is actually, it's... God's cleansing of this other race, the Nephilim bloodline. Because sometimes people read you know, the Bible and they kind of choke on Joshua killing men, women, and children. Well, this is, this is what the, these scholars would say is, no, this, these are, this is aimed at the Nephilim bloodline. It's God eradicating these, this, some of these angels' uh, um, desire to create or subvert God's creation and to subvert humanity, which was God's design. We're created in the image of God. These are created in the image of like these fallen angels, essentially. Interesting stuff, isn't it? Okay, now I completely ruined my sermon. All right, come back, come back. The, the point is this, is that a second, the second temple period, um, second temple Judaism, which is the Judaism of Paul and Jesus, the literature that is written during the second temple period is obsessed with the Nephilim. So it was the original audience. I mean, the, the early church would be reading this and going, the Nephilim? Nice. <laughs> but that's pretty intimidating. Now I understand why these people were so scared. They saw the Nephilim, right? Like the, the, this, the Nephilim is meant to make you pee in your pants a little bit when you're reading the story. Okay. So now that we've got that supernatural element, are you understanding why this could be, this is, this is crazy, right? 
Um, okay, and, and we seemed to, our, uh, to ourselves like grasshoppers. And so now, right, this is the hyperbole of cowardice, right? Now we're, we're grasshoppers. I mean, if the Nephilim's there and the land devours its inhabitants, we're, we're dead. We're, you know, we're de- and so we seem to them. Then all the congregation raised a loud cry. Yeah, I would be too. I would be, I would be weeping that night. Oh, great, these monsters are going to tear my arms off and eat my head. Thank you, God. That's great. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Now, that is catastrophization. That's what my psychologist calls it. Right? Catastrophization. The second report was definitely catastrophization. The first report is, you know, they mentioned the, son, the sons of Anak there. But catastrophization is what I do at 1 a.m. after I've been scrolling Fox and CNN. <laughs> right? And, I've, and I'm, I'm unlocking all these new fears. Right? Oh, oh, Putin. Putin's doing this. Oh, there's more diseases. Oh, there's this. Oh, there's that. Oh, I don't know what to do with my money. Oh, the stock market. Oh, the real estate. Oh, do I buy gold? Do I buy silver? You know, Dave Ramsey says you won't need, if, if, we, if you're relying on gold and silver, you're going to need bullets. And they're like, oh, do, I have, do I have enough arms? Yeah, I mean, so I'm like, right? I'm sitting there at 1 a.m. Like, right? And so then it's, okay, I'm going to sell the business. I'm going to sell my house. We're leaving Nashville. We're leaving America. We're leaving the planet. How do I meet Elon Musk? I need to be on his ship. Right? When you're catastrophizing, you start to make stupid plans. Right? Making stupid plans. Oh, would we go back to Egypt? Right? This is what they say. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become prey. Would it, be, would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? No. No, it would not be back to go back to Egypt. And you want to know why? There's nothing left. The, the, the Niles turned to blood. Right? The locusts ate all the... There's no food. There's no food. They're, all of their pets died. Their pets' heads are falling off. There's nothing left, bro. Oh, remember that one time all their firstborn died? They're probably still harboring a bit of resentment against you. Now's not a good time to pay them a visit. Wait a century. Give it some time to heal. There's... This is stupidity, right? They are panicking, and so they're making panicked, panicked decisions. Catastrophizing. And they said to one another, let's choose a leader and go back to Egypt. It's laughable. The original audience would be reading this and going, idiots. (laughs) Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before the assembly of the congregation, the people of Israel, and Moses and Aaron hit the deck when fire's about to come out before the Lord and scorch everybody, right? Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb 
who were among those who had spied out the land tore their clothes because they see these two dudes hit the deck and they're like, oh, we're about to die. So they tear their clothes like they're at a funeral, right? And in a last ditch effort, they say to the congregation, the land which we passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, P.S., he does. You were nobodies. You are just a bunch of slaves and God rescued us. God likes you. God delights in you. Why are Christians, the people who should be the most secure in the delight of the Lord, so flippy floppy when it comes to, you know, it's like Monday, he loves me. Tuesday, he loves me not. Wednesday, he loves me. Thursday, he loves me not. Why are we like that? It's stupid. God delights in you. You were a hot mess when he saved you, and you still are. (laughs) On your worst, God, Jesus is on the cross, and he's seeing you on your worst day. And he stayed up there. God loves you. He delights in you. Why are we so full of cowardice sometimes at God's plans for our lives and his plans for the church. He delights in this. And if the Lord delights in this, and he does, he will bring us into this land. And it gets better. And give it to us. A land that flows with milk and honey. There's the hyperbole of faith. Right? Cowardice has a hyperbole. Faith has a hyperbole. It's fully loaded. Only, verse 9, do not rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land. That's one idea. Don't rebel against the Lord. Do not fear the people of the land. They're bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Revelation 21 is, I don't know about you, but I don't like reading the book of Revelation. I get a lot of anxiety. And I like to just get to the end of the book because I know that we win. You know? There's some books that you just want to get to the end. Just, just fast. I was watching a movie last night, Rob Roy. And I'm like, just get to the end when he kills that really annoying Englishman. You know what I mean? Like, I just, just want to see that dude get hacked to pieces. I just can't deal with all of the drama and all the bad things that keep on happening in that movie. I just need to go to the end. And I literally fast forwarded to the, to the last scene where he kills that dude. You know what I mean? I was like, oh, thank you. I can go to bed now. That's me when I'm reading the book of Revelation. And so I'm, you're finally at the end in Revelation 21, and Jesus is fixing the world, right? And, he's, and part of the fix is if... You know, God's a, if God is good, then he has to be a good judge. And so he's judging. And so Jesus is dunking at all these dudes in the book of Revelation 21. All, every, all, the, all the bad people, we throw it up here. You know, and so he's dunking people in the lake of fire. And so you got the faithless and he dunks them. And the detestable, dunk them. Uh, murderers, double dunk them. Sexually immoral, dunk them. Harry Potter, triple dunk them. <laughs> idolaters, dunk, liars, eh, swill them around and triple dunk them, God. People who lied to me. Their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. 
And so you're reading this, but the problem with this verse is that my name is the very first one, the cowardly. Have you ever seen your name in the Bible and you're like, Bible, calm down. <laughs> Bible, no. <laughs> I am a coward by nature. My brother is William Wallace. He's Braveheart. My brother is a giant provoker. He's 18 months younger than me and he's crazy. He's got no anxiety and something's broken with him. <laughs> My brother loves jumping off of high things. And he, he you know, he, when we were on a family vacation and we'd go like to a lake, my brother would find the highest point and just jump off. And my dad would be looking at me like, are you next or are you going to just be a little wussy? <laughs> now, I, I, have a, I have a vivid imagination and I have a mother we call her Debbie Downer. And my mom knows every way that you could die at any given time. She'll be serving, you know, turkey, turkey at, at Thanksgiving dinner. And she'll be telling you, you know, choose slowly because 27% of choking happens on Thanksgiving. Just... That's my mom. My mom is, she knows every, every she used to put, scripture verses in our cars when we were 16, 17, 18 years old, you know, to, to, like to get us to, to, you know, in your patience, you possess your soul. She, she literally had that printed out and she put it right beside the speedometer. I'm not lying. My mom literally did that. That's how I know the Bible so much because my mother's fierce. She's got a scripture verse for every single one of her catastrophizations. It's crazy. So, so, the, I, so I, it comes, I've inherited it from my mother. I've got her fears. You know, I remember her um, sending me an article about how things in New York City fall from the tops of roofs and, and kill people. I was in Rome, you know, she sent me this like, you know, 20, or 15 years ago. And I was in Rome this past summer and I'm walking through and I just keep on looking up. <laughs> And I'm, like, I'm walking in the middle of the alleys in, in, the, in the downtown area because I just got my mom constantly. You know what I mean? Like she, she unlocks all of these fears. But my brother, he has no care or concern for his own life. He loves roller. Every, anything crazy, my brother does it. I remember him jumping off of an 80-foot bridge in, in Oregon uh, when we were going to school into a river. And there was like a, a, a city ordinance that said, like, if you jump off here, you'll be fine. It was that high. Like, he's an idiot. Um, I like short giants with pool noodles. Right? You know what I mean? Like, well, the promised land is guarded by four-year-olds. I will slay them all, God. A little bit of anxiety is good for you. And, and initially... I can understand some of the anxiety that these people are have, you know, they're experiencing, right? They're, you know, obviously it's leading to a ridiculous catastrophe because they've misunderstood what's happening. Um, and we'll get to that in a second. But a little bit of anxiety is good. Let's say, for example, that it's, um, like, like, for example, if you're, if, you're, if you're going to L.A. and your, like, check engine light comes on, or even worse, uh, low fuel, you know what I mean? And you've got, you've got 10 MPG left. You're like, oh, that should elicit a bit of anxiety. You should be concerned if, you, if you're running out of gas. Um, exactly. Nobody needs to go to a gas station in LA these days. So, 
What do you do? You pull over and you make the right decision. Anxiety will, will save you. Right? A, a healthy bit of anxiety. Okay? My, my brother and I are in, you know, let's say it's a million years ago, and my brother and I are in a cave, and we're like, ooh, 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 ooh. And that's me saying to my brother, let's go get some food. And he's like, ooh, 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 ooh. So we go out. But we, we left, we forgot, our, our, we forgot our, our spears in the cave, right? And so my brother sees a saber-toothed tiger. He's like, ooh, 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 And I'm like, ooh, ooh, ooh. We don't have our spear, right? So I run back to the cave, but my brother, my brother tries to ride it because he's an idiot. And he gets eaten. And so, right, because he's broken. He doesn't have any anxiety. There's something wrong with him. So evolutionarily, he should be dead right now. A little bit of anxiety is good, okay? But you don't really need to have anxiety about things that God has spoken to you about. And you see, the, the promised land, this is the mistake that these dudes made. They made the mistake of thinking that somehow what happened in Egypt was because of them. Which is self-righteousness. Self-righteousness will mess with you because you'll start to think that all the good things that happen in your life are because of you. Most good things that happen to you are mercy. It's just the goodness and the faithfulness of God. The moment you start going, oh, it's because of this, it's because of that, ooh. What if some bad things start to happen? Right? Then you start second-guessing yourself. That's a dangerous game to play. No, if God's called you to something, then he's going to do it. He's going to give it to them. He's going to bring them into the land. And they have mistaken the promise of, the, of, the, of Canaan for them, that it's on them. And so they're having anxiety necessarily, right? Here, here's how faith works. Faith is not presumption. It's not presumption. It's not speculation. It's not assumption. Faith comes by hearing, right? That's how faith comes. Faith doesn't start with you. It starts with God, right? So, so faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Christ. That's the, the quickened word, the rhema word of Christ. So I can have faith for what God has said to me through his word. This is why you need to find out what promises are for you in Scripture and what promises are not for you in Scripture because not every promise in Scriptures are for you. Right? There's, there's some promises that were just terminated in certain things. They were fulfilled in certain things. But there are lots of promises of God for you. And there's a lot of words. So you've got to get a word. You've got to get a word from God. Hebrews 11. What, what do those guys have in common? The hall of faith. They all got a word from God. Right? Faith comes by hearing. Hearing the word of Christ. So, um, when I was a kid, I... Uh, you know, good charismatic kid. We used to talk about Peter walking on water, as one does. And so, oh, walking on water. Well, I can walk on water with faith. And then Jesus said, I remember in Sunday school, they said that if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to a mountain, be removed, and it'll be cast into the sea. I can move faith with the size of a mustard seed. And the point is, is that the size of your faith isn't all that important. In fact, there's like, I think, five times in the New Testament where Jesus says, oh, you little faith, and he still does the miracle. Your little faith is not intimidating God. Jesus is just saying, if you will just lean in a little bit into my word, we can move mountains with that. It's not the size that's the problem with faith. You hearing me? 
So I remember they're giving us these little, little dime bags full of mustard seeds. Right? I got these little baggies. Okay, I got my faith. I'm going to move some mountains, man. I'm at my camp about a year later, and I'm all hyped up on this faith stuff because it's the most exciting stuff in the charismatic church that I grew up in. Faith, yeah, you got faith, you got faith, you can do all this sweet stuff, man. You just got to believe. You got your mustard seed faith. And Peter walked on water. Now, God told Peter that he could walk on water, right? Lord, can I come to you? Jesus said, yes, come. So Peter had faith for the water walk. Jesus had commanded them, and in is the, the word it means to command, he commanded them to be in the boat. The other 11 had been commanded by Jesus to be in the boat. They had faith for the boat. And the whole point of the story was for them to get across, right? But Jesus, Peter's a coward, and he knew that the safest place is with Jesus. Peter's also a fisherman. He knew during a storm, the worst place to be was in the boat. He had no faith for the boat, and he wanted to be with Jesus, right? So Jesus, okay, yes, come out, little coward. So he starts walking, but of course, you know, he starts sinking because he's looking at the faith. Anyways, long story short, Jesus saves him, brings him back to the boat, and get him across. It's another story entirely. Just, that's just how the church has read it for 2,000 years. Anyways, you're welcome. Okay. So, Jesus didn't tell me to walk on water. He told Peter to walk on water. So I'm eight years old. I'm sitting on the dock. The bottom of my feet are touching the top of the water at the lake, our lake in Ontario, Canada. And I'm like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it, man. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk on water. This is the summer. I got faith the size of a mustard seed. And I am so sincere. You know what it's like to be so sincere and really believe the Bible and get soaking wet? <laughs> it's devastating, dude. And that moment, I almost became an atheist. That is the closest to not believing in God I've ever come in these 40 years. For real. Have you ever got soaking wet like that as a Christian? Where you put so much, you loaded so much spiritual freight into a moment only to get disappointed by God. Oh, man. You see, what was happening was I was copying the faith act of another person who had got a word. And what ends up when you are copying the faith act of another person is you just get soaking wet. And that's why you got to have a word from God. What has God said to you? What is the word of the Lord over your life? Never mind what Jack and Jill are doing. What word they have. Or was somebody, oh, I saw somebody, you know, doing this, and so maybe I'm called to that. No, you are called to what God's called you to do. Who cares what, how another church is doing this or that and the other thing? What has God called this church to? You hearing me? That's how faith works. Now, you can pray prayers of hope. I want a Cadillac Escalade, fully loaded, flowing with milk and honey. Right? I, want the, I don't even want a roof. Take the roof off. <laughs> Fully loaded. Flowing with milk and honey. And hope does not disappoint. Okay? I can pray a prayer. But if I think I'm praying a prayer 
faith and God hasn't spoken to me that I can have a Cadillac Escalade, guess what? If it doesn't happen, and I, and I you know, and I, and I, <laughs> and I'm praying, and I think I'm praying, pray, I'm going to be disappointed. No, 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 no. No, you need to get a word. You've got to get a word from God. This is why you, we need to know the scriptures. We need to be people that understand the general will of God so that we can know the specific will of God. But if you don't know the general will of God, you're never going to know the specific will of God. No, you hear the specific will in the context of the general will. We have to be people of the word. Abraham was a man of the ear. God showed up to Abram and said, hey, let's, this is who I am and this is what we're doing. And Abraham said, okay, let's do it. I'm following you, God. We are people of the ear. We're like Abraham. Abrahamic faith is ear faith. People that hear God and they know how to hear God. Understanding God's will for your life. What is God's will for your life? As we understand scripture. These guys should know the will of God. But they don't. And they think that it's all on them. And so they're rebelling against God. We have some major challenges in the church at the moment. Because I think that we have people who are beginning to see that it could cost them. Socio-economically. Socio-politically. If I, if I believe Jesus, and this is the type of cowardice that the book of Revelation is talking about here. Thankfully, God's not sending people to hell who are scared of roller coasters. <laughs> right? No, the issue, one of the major themes of the book of Revelation is faithful witness. Will you be a faithful witness to Jesus Christ, come hell or high water? What does it mean to be a faithful witness? It means not to love your life even unto death. And to trust Jesus and his words. You can't divorce Jesus from his words. What it means to be a Christian is to follow Jesus and trust his words. What does Jesus believe about this issue? I have to pick up my cross and follow Jesus and not mind the splinters. Jesus, you don't understand. If I, if I believe that, then people aren't going to do business with me. People are going to trash talk me on TikTok. My friends won't be friends with me anymore. Yeah, so it's called a cross. And you need to pick it up. Will we be faithful witnesses? Will the church be a faithful witness to Jesus Christ? Well, the overcoming church is the faithful witness church, the church that overcomes. The faithful witness generation will be the generation that sees the promised land, that God brings, God, God brings that church into the promised land. God brings that people into their prophetic destiny in Christ Jesus. This is the challenge at the moment. But it can be, in the face of opposition, it can be really challenging. I want to say something that's a little bit of a tangent, but seeing as we're doing tangents this morning, we're going to go there. I want to talk about the mark of the beast for all of 30 seconds. I'm going to offend a lot of people here, so I'm sorry. But I don't believe in a literal mark of the beast. I do believe that the mark of the beast is a cyclical thing that's been happening since the early church. When you become a Christian, God puts his mark on you. And there's two marks. You either have the mark of God or you have the mark of the beast. And here's the deal. 
the Jerusalem church, when Christians became, when Jewish Christians, uh, when Jewish people became Christians in Jerusalem, their family kicked them out. They were kicked out of the synagogue. They were kicked out of their friend group. Nobody did business with them. This is why people had to sell their property in order to feed the church. In, in Ephesus, if you became a Christian, you were kicked out of the Ephesian trade guild because these Christians would no longer make uh, um, these idols, the, Di the Diana idols. And Diana, the Ephesians, I mean, people came to, to Ephesus to, to get a little golden figurine or a silver figurine of Diana. Well, if you didn't support that local economy, they would kick you out. In fact, the bank in Ephesus was in the temple of Diana. So these Christians became very impoverished very, very quickly, right? Because they had the mark of God now on them. And the mark of the beast keeps, if, if you get the mark of the beast, yeah, then you can you get your pass economically. You can buy and you can sell and you can trade, etc. This is how the church has read the book of Revelation until about the 1800s. But now we, you know, there's some Christians that believe it's a, God bless you, maybe I'm wrong, maybe you're right. But my hunch, and I'm going to stick with the, the historic church on this, is that this has been happening for centuries. It, cost, it may cost you to follow Jesus socioeconomically. You hear me? Right? So there's a temptation there because we fear the people of the land. Numbers 14.9, do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land. We can have this fear, this anxiety, if we can just throw the scripture verse up so we can see it. We can have this fear and this anxiety of what, how people will react to us if we, if we believe Jesus and we believe his words. But the church that's going into the promised land is the church that is the faithful witness to Jesus Christ. And what God has for you is for the faithful witness. Your promised land is directly tied to your faithful witness to Jesus Christ. Because what happens here is this entire generation gets wiped out. God says, I won't take any of you into the promised land. And God waits for another generation to come up that will believe him and be faithful witnesses. These, they, you know, remember they're like, oh, would we have died in Egypt? Or would we die in this wilderness? God was like, you know what, we'll run with that. You will die in this wilderness. The unbelieving generation died in the wilderness. And that's the warning to us. Will we be faithful witnesses to Jesus Christ? Okay, Numbers 13, 16. You know, I called this sermon, I didn't even tell you the, the title, but the title of this sermon is Sharks with Laser Beams. <laughs> it's, from, it's, a, it's from my favorite movie, Austin Powers. <laughs> Dr. Evil wanted sharks with laser beams on their foreheads. And when I read uh, Numbers, uh, let's go to Numbers 13.32. Numbers 13.32. When I read this passage, I thought of sharks with laser beams because it's so preposterous and ridiculous. The land through which we have gone to spy out is a land that devours its inhabitants. Right? When, when you're a coward, the first thing that runs away is your imagination. It's like saying... You know, Pastor Jude, if I, stay, if I stay a faithful witness to Jesus Christ, or if this church doesn't change what they believe about this, there are sharks with laser beams that are going to destroy my destiny and our destiny corporately. 
Right? We, begin to, we begin to catastrophize. All these things are going to happen to us. All these bad things are going to happen to me. And all these bad things are going to happen to the church if we don't begin to acclimate to the culture. It's like saying, there's sharks with laser beams in the land. No, there's no sharks with laser beams. Canaan is landlocked. Well, they came in through a shark NATO, man. There's like a shark NATO, and they had laser beams on their foreheads, and they're going to destroy us. You have to fight the hyperbole of cowardice with the, with the hyperbole of faith. And that is what Joshua began to do. Now, God's going to give it to us. It's got milk and honey in it. We're going for it. But that bravery only comes from faith. And faith comes from the Word of God. You've got to begin to stir up your prophetic imagination. You know, who, who is building the church? Jesus is building the church. Jesus is superintending the church. Jesus still walks among the seven candlesticks. He's, he's, he's checking our deeds and he's checking our faith. But that's what he's building. Jesus said, I'll build my church. That's his project. We can trust Jesus. What are some words that... Why don't you stand with me? What are, what are, some, what are some, some things that God's called you to that you know? You know that, you know that God has called you to. I'm going to give you a, a couple examples. If you're married, God's called you to that marriage. If you are a man, a biological man and a biological woman, and you are not related to one another, second cousins is fine. You have to spell it out these days. Jesus spelled it out in Mark chapter 10 when he quoted Genesis 1, 27. Right? You are called to that marriage. And sometimes there, it can look like the thing is going sideways and it's crazy and we're catastrophizing. Babe, you're catastrophizing. That's what my psychologist calls it. I'm doing the work and now you need to do the work. I'm kidding. Right? Come on. But God's called me to this. God's called me to this boat. I'm staying in the boat. No, I'm gonna, I, I, know, I heard the word of the Lord. I know that I'm called to this. I know that this is the will of God for me. And so I can have faith for this. And so I'm going to begin to imagine how God's going to come through. I'm going to begin to imagine. I'm not going to be, it's not on me, Hosea, I save. Yeshua, that's my new identity. Yahweh saves. And so, Lord, you're going to show up in some powerful way. And our marriage is going to be okay. Our marriage is going to be awesome, actually. Our marriage is going to be better than it will ever be. Oh, my, this business, oh, oh, you know, God called. I know that, I sense that God's called me. He's given me a mind for this. I sense that there's a grace of God on my life. But things are getting crazy and the economy. And I don't, I don't know if I, I should build. I don't know if I should do this. What do I do? You know, that's a Hosea thought. It's all on you. What's... The, Yeshua, the Joshua thought is Yahweh saves. God, you've called me to this. And so I'm going to begin to imagine you showing up in my business in, a, in, an, in an incredible way. Well, other starve, we will eat. 
because the favor of the Lord will be on my life. And it's not because of anything good in me. It's because Yahweh saves. And God is my God. And I will trust him implicitly. He's my provider. And it's not because I'm so, some perfect Christian. I'm not. I'm very imperfect. I'm a mess. But God is my provider. You hearing me? And you begin to stir your prophetic imagination over the word of God. Come on, what is the word of God to you? What, is, what are some of those words in the past that you need to begin to, 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 to uh, not prophesy again, but begin to imagine again? Just with that, that fresh prophetic imagination. God, this is the word that you've given me, and I will begin to lean into that in my imagination. I, I'm, I am divorcing catastrophe today. We're breaking up. It's been really, it's just, we, we've had some really great late nights together. Right? But we're done. We're, do, we're done because, because and, when you, and when, you, when you come knock, when you come texting me at one in the morning, guess what? I'm going to begin to stir up my prophetic imagination. No, God, you, you will be good. In fact, I will meet my catastrophe in the hyperbole of catastrophization with the hyperbole of faith. No, God, you are going to be ridiculously good. I've seen the grapes. <laughs> I've seen the grapes, and God, I know that your goodness, I will see the goodness of God in the land of the living. You know, Jesus taught us to pray, Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Let thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a DeLorean prayer. Right? Well, that's prosperity gospel. No, that's the Lord's prayer, dude. That's the Lord's prayer. God, what, what is, whatever's happening in heaven, paradise now. Paradise now, God. Lord, let me have a foretaste of glory divine. Lord, let me taste your goodness. Father, I thank you right now. I don't know where you need to taste the goodness of God today. But God wants to, to I, I, I really sense that the Lord wants to say, it's time to, 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 to desire a taste of his goodness. In your homes and as a church, Pastor Judah, I just want to say this again. I, I said this in the first service. I believe that this church really matters it really matters you're a part of this church God's put you in this church he saved you he's added you to the church this community needs this church but you're just getting started we've only just begun we just you've only just begun and I, I do believe that God's going to give you land. You, you need more land because there's just more souls, more people, more families, more healing. Almost all of that. God's going to begin to give you the right people. Not that you don't have the right people, but strategic relationships, people that will open doors, give you favor with this community, give you favor with businessmen. I'm, I'm, I'm believing that the there's you, you see the opposition. We could sit here, you and I could sit here and talk about how hard it would be to have a thriving church in Ventura because how expensive it is to live in this area, how expensive land is. All, we, could, we could sit here and talk about the giants and the Nephilim and we could pee our pants a little bit. And then we could make up some, some we, could, we, could with la we could start talking about sharks with laser beams. Right, we could do that. You and I could do that, and we could catastrophize, and then we would we would need a lot of tequila sodas after that. 
you know. But I, I believe that the land is yours. Yeah. And the Lord is going to give it to you. God's going to give it to you, Pastor Jude. He's going to give it to you. You just watch. It's, his, it's not your, it was never your idea. It was God's idea. It was God's idea. He's going to give you the land. He's going to bring you into it. And it's, and you know, I was talking to Jake uh, between the services and Jake's like, who starts a church at 50? That's a God idea. You know how old Abraham was when the Lord first reached out to him? 70. Right? God basically waited for Abraham to be dead. <laughs> he rejected the, that, the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. They're trying to build up to God. Oh, we're young. We're cool. We have technology. Right? Rejected them and went and found Abraham and just believed the Lord. And I really believe that God is, you're like an Abraham dude. You know, and you've, you've, but God's brought you into this place. Lord, I thank you today for City Church California. Father, I thank you for the land that you are bringing them into. You will give them the land. Father, I thank you for, for multiple pieces of property. Father, I thank you for blessing and favor. Father, I thank you that the hearts of the people uh, will, be, will be opened. And, and I thank you for, for some business strategies. And Father, I thank you that you will stir. God, I thank you that you will provide seed to every sower too. Some of y'all are thinking, man, we could never, I don't think we'll ever be in the position. No, God will bless you so that you'll be a blessing. That's what's going to happen because your prosperity will have a purpose, right? The gospel doesn't teach prosperity. The gospel doesn't teach poverty. It teaches generosity so that you always have something to give so that you, sh you fall short in no good work. So Father, I thank you for every businessman. I thank you for every job. Father, I pray that Ventura and Christians in Ventura would be like Joseph's during famine. Joseph's during famine. So that the church of Jesus Christ, what you are building, Jesus, everybody connected to churches like this in this area that are bringing in, because there's a mass harvest coming. Father, I pray that these people would be protected, that there would be a Joseph strategy from heaven. And God, I thank you that in a year from now, in 12 months from now, we are going to see some serious, serious, serious change. Father, I thank you that you are giving us the land. I thank you for a shakeup, a heavenly shakeup of Ventura. I thank you for favor over this church. In Jesus' name, amen. We so appreciate you spending time with us. If you'd like to invest into what God is doing through City Church California, you can go to our website, citychurchca.com, and click Give. Thanks again, and we hope to see you at one of our campuses this Sunday.